0: Hi, I'm Katie Burke, Associate Editor at American Scientist Magazine. I'm here with Avner Vengosh from Duke University. He's a geochemist who has studied water quality and how energy production can affect water quality. And some of his most recent research has looked at hydraulic fracturing. So, uh, Dr. Vengosh, thank you so much for coming to speak with us.
1: It's a pleasure to be here.
0: I'm interested in... Um, what drives you to do this research? Hydraulic fracturing is a complex, politically charged topic to study. How did you get into it?
1: Okay, so we um, I've been working for many years on water quality issues in many parts of the world. And in many cases, it has been debated issues. I'm coming from Israel, and I've been working on water scarcity and water sharing between Israel and Palestinian the Jordan River, it's one of the research focal, which I've been engaged for, for many years. So coming into a debated issues was not a new thing for me. And when I moved to Duke, um, I tried, I began to look at different issues that interest me and can be using my expertise in understanding water quality. And what we are doing at Duke, we're building tools that enable us to understand why is water becoming contaminated, what are the driving force for contamination. And and naturally, when we looked at the most important topics of society today, there are hydraulic fracturing and coal ash, and those are two topics that we've been studying for, for that time.
0: How has energy production in the U.S. changed over the years, and how does natural gas fit into that? change?
1: So traditionally, coal has been the major source of energy and specifically electricity. And even today, coal is a major source of, of uh, energy for electricity production, especially in North Carolina, which is the major source is coal. Now, during the last um, 10 years, natural gas has became the major source and actually became um, more dominant than coal only like a few years ago. And this is because of the the shale gas boom that took place by the mid-2000s. 2005, 2006, that's when shale gas became um, uh, really a predominant source of energy. And the rise of the shale gas caused that natural gas now exceeding coal uh, in terms of the energy production in this country. And it is projected into the future that natural gas is will be the major source of energy.
0: So explain how hydraulic fracturing works and how water is used during the process.
1: So hydraulic fracturing or unconventional energy exploitation is a combination of several breakthrough technology that involve injection of uh, high volume of water mixed with uh, man-made chemicals into vertical and then develop into horizontal wells in which the high-pressure blend of chemicals and water uh, causing a fracturing, open frac- uh, fractures within very low permeability shell formation. They actually move this not only to shell formation but also for low permeable sand formation as well, a sandstone, uh, and in which this technology enables to increase the permeability of those formations that, that is otherwise is impossible to do. So this kind of a breakthrough technology that has been known for, for many years, the, um, the hydraulic fracturing, but this uh, with uh, horizontal drilling made the difference uh, in 2005, 2006, when it really started to, to move on uh, in a large scale production. Now, water has been used in different ways. First, the water is used for, as a carrier for those chemicals, and the combination of the chemicals and the pressure and, and the high volume of water are able to open the fractures. So the water use is the major water uses for drilling and for hydraulic fracturing. And, and then the water is becoming another issue with the waste.
0: The,
1: there are t- uh, three kind of risks when you're disposing brine into the environment. The first is actually contamination of the local streams with different chemicals that associate this high salinity and high ammonium would be effective very immediately on on the stream uh, ecology. Um, The second is accumulation of some of the metals and particularly radioactive elements like radium in the sediment. Uh, and we found it in a site, Josephine site in in Pennsylvania, where the level of radium in the sediment at the disposal site was uh, very high, exceeding the level that you would require for low radioactive waste disposal site. Um, so so that's kind of a risk. and and that risk is is kind of the generation of a legacy of radioactivity, even if we stop the disposal of of those wastewater today into the future, and the third risk is that if there are, if those water that's coming from a disposal of the brine containing um, the effluent containing a very high level of bromide and iodide, and when this water is diluted and moving downstream, uh, they would use eventually by the downstream communities in those river and waterways for drinking water. And we demonstrated that even a tiny amount of presence of those salt in in river water, higher than background level, could trigger the formation of highly carcinogenic disinfection byproduct upon disinfection of this water into those utilities. And and some of uh, what in a study that we we showed with uh, Stanford University. Uh, Bill Mitch was the, the lead uh, author on that. Uh, we showed that um, a tiny amount of uh, those of, of hydraulic fracturing fluid uh, would mixed with water, uh, with surface water, could uh, trigger the formation of different type of disinfection byproduct, including those that are not regulated by the EPA. So some iodide, a uh, trihalomethane component which are extremely toxic are not being regulated by the EPA or any other uh, utilities could be generated from the introduction of those wastewater into those drinking water utilities.
0: So this topic is is so politically and emotionally charged. Describe your perspective as as a scientist observing the contentious public debate about hydraulic fracturing and shale gas extraction?
1: Well, we, we are kind of in the middle of, everybody who are upset about it We will be the target. So the industry, when we first published it, were very slamming us, um, saying um, there were some blogs. Um, I always said that the amount of money they put into different um, blogs and different people, if you give me only a fraction of that, will would be nice to conduct real research. Um, um, so there were a lot of um, uh, issues coming from that side, and also when we published, uh, we for example we published a paper that show they did not show any evidence for stray gas contamination in Arkansas. We got slammed by the environmental groups that uh, accuse us for working with the industry and so on. So we've been slammed in both ways, um, and it's it's kind of it's challenging because I can see how this would affect young scientists in their early career could be affected uh, issues of funding. It's very hard to get funding into that. We were fortunate to get very not much from our school and then from NSF, but the amount of funding we received was very small compared to large-scale projects like the EPA and perhaps others. Um, And um, I think kind of this intimidation uh, could be very uh, contagious for young scientists without tenure or that our early stage of their careers could be uh, heavily affected by either side of that of this debate and that is really unfortunate because what we need, we need those young scientists to focus on that and to build the tools to be able to to have unbiased research on that And um, I was fortunate to be at Duke and Duke was a very uh, good platform to, to work in terms of uh, no any restriction and no any uh, limitation on our research. Um so, so I know that others in other institutions were not that lucky and there were some institution um, forces and kind of implication, you should not go into this direction because that could harm the donation, for example, from uh, a different potential donor. And Duke was above that, and that uh, was very fortunate to us. Um, but so it's kind of a harsh environment to conduct your uh, the science and the research in those tests. And we try to walk between kind of those two lines and to do what we do as much as the well we can do.
0: So if you could choose uh, a message or a few messages that you think the public needs about this topic, what, what, would, what would they be? Well,
1: typically, scientists like to talk about funding, so I kind of find it in a bit uh, awkward situation, but I, I have to repeat it. So we have an issue that um, I think the EPA is reluctant to conduct or cannot do, even if it wants to, conduct a, a kind of a large-scale study. And uh, from various reasons, we're not going into that right now. So what we are kind of left is a a local and of different initiative coming from private university or state universities uh, with different, much less ability to do a large scale evaluation that um, EPA can or the industry have the resources to do. But... um, The problem is that if you give it to one of the interest group, could be either NGOs, environmental NGOs and or industry, that could be a biased kind of research or research that won't be trusted by the the public. I think the trust is the key point here, how to build a platform of objective science that the public can trust um, on the long term. And then I think the way to enable to do that is to provide independent funding to do that through NSF or other kind of independent uh, entities that would allow uh, the scientists to work on that. Um, For example, EPA would not allow young scientists as part of the EPA STAR program to conduct research for PhD related to hydraulic fracturing actually limiting that so um so phd student would would be the last thing they would do to work on hydraulic fracturing because that's first to get funding it's so limiting and epa putting those restrictions um so i think uh, one way is a public voice and and kind of to empower uh, somewhere someone nsf uh, to allocate funding to address this question because everyone agrees that this is one of the fundamental and the most important issues and and I think it's important that it came out in our studies we are not we don't have any ideology involved. We are trying to understand the issues of the fracking how it's affect the environment, could affect human health um, so I think on the end of the day we are the same boat even with the industry how to do it correctly in order to make it sustainable. And I think those cases of like the stray gas contamination or bad management of the wastewater eventually hurt the industry more than anyone else because it's degraded our ability to to make it long-term and sustainable.
0: Well, it's certainly a fascinating area of research and you've made a lot of headway. Dr. Van Gosh. thank you so much for coming to talk to us.
1: It was a real pleasure. Thank you.